Today, as you may know, marks the first Sunday of Lent. We have purple paraments indicating a new season. We have a mention of this on the front of the bulletin. When I was growing up, the son of a Presbyterian minister, with my formative years in the north side at Ginner Park Presbyterian Church, I heard about Lent, but it was not from my church. It was from the few Catholic kids in the neighborhood. It was only in the recent decades, mostly since I've been a pastor, that Presbyterians have been giving attention to this liturgical season, Lent, a time of renewal, a time of refreshment, a time of reflection and recommitment. The word Lent, as you may know, comes from the old English word to lengthen and refers to the lengthening of the days that are happening as we move out of winter and into spring. All of us have learned that the Lenten season can be a very helpful time, 40 days, preparing not only for Holy Week, but growing in faith and becoming better disciples. 40 days of Lent. In the ancient scriptural imagination, 40 was the shorthand way of saying a very long time. Those who are familiar with the Bible know the many references to this particular number, It was in the flood in Genesis 7 that we read that it rained for 40 days on Noah and his family in the ark. Moses fasted for 40 days without food on Mount Sinai. Elijah went 40 days without food as he journeyed to Mount Horeb. You probably know about Israel's wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. We have Today, the other story about Jesus and 40 days in the desert, tempted. That's our second lesson. Lots of stories related to 40. The underlying idea here is that God, like a master choreographer, like a master composer, works through signature forms in time and space. And in the season of Lent, we're each invited into a 40-day pilgrimage to have our faith deepened, our love enriched, our life more focused. What might happen in these 40 days for, for you? What might God be working on in your life in this season? How might we be different and more faithful? We have two passages today that seem to be about temptation, But I think the messages in both these chapters is really something more and something different and something very important. I think the message of both these passages today is a very important question. Can we trust God? Can we? Trust is a very important element in our lives as God's people. Listen to what Frederick Buechner says about trust. I remember sitting parked by the roadside once, terribly depressed and afraid about my daughter's illness. She had very dangerous anorexia. And he says, I was very afraid of what was going to happen in our family when 
Out of nowhere, a car came along down the highway with a license plate that bore on it the one word out of all the words in the dictionary that I needed most to see exactly then. The word was trust. What do you call a moment like that? Something to laugh off, Bigner asked, as, as a kind of joke of life that life plays on us every once in a while? Or maybe the word of God? I'm willing to believe, he says, that maybe it was something of both. For me, it was an epiphany. The owner of the car turned out to be, as I suspected, a trust officer at a bank. <laughs> and not long ago, having read an account I wrote of the very incident somewhere, he found out where I lived, and one afternoon he brought me the license plate itself, which sits propped up on a bookshelf in my office to this day. It is rusty around the edges and a little battered, and it is a holy relic as I have ever seen. Can we really trust God with the important things of our life? And how can we trust God more going forward? The story of Adam and Eve, which we just read, appears to be about temptation. There's the Garden of Eden, a place of great delight. And there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You may eat freely of every tree except one, that one. And then along comes the crafty serpent, and they ate of the tree of knowledge, and their eyes were opened, and everything changed. We heard the story, but look closely. It's printed in the bulletin. The serpent's fundamental move is to try to say God is untrustworthy. The serpent wants to raise questions and raise hesitations in the minds and hearts of this first couple and indirectly suggest that God would deny human beings food. Did God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The serpent wants Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness, to question God's care for them. And then, to take it further, the serpent implies that God has lied. Do you? You will not die. And that God is actually humanity's rival in the scheme of things. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Tension. The serpent wants to create deep doubts and great mistrust of God for this first couple. Whatever you may think of this story, it conveys a very powerful and important truth. We are all. All of us easily misled into anxious mistrust of God. That's a story really less about temptation and more about how we all struggle to trust God and God's goodness and presence and promises and care. Recall those words of the great Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a present help in times of trouble. The psalm says God is always on our side. We have a hard time remembering this. We have a hard time living into this. This same psalm even says, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, we will not fear because God 
is with us. On the Sunday morning, after the Monday shootings on the campus of Virginia Tech in 2007, a reporter asked me, Pastor, what are you going to say to your congregation at the beginning of worship? What are the first words that you're going to say in this important worship service? And I said, we will be joining our voices with the generations of people who've gone before us, who faced hardship and suffering and loss, and who have said these same words, God is our refuge and strength, a present help in times of trouble. And we're going to keep saying that as best we can, trying to live into the promises of loving God and serving God. Marcus Borg helps us think about the importance of trusting God. He says, faith as trust is like floating in a deep ocean. We can float, friends, in 70,000 fathoms of water. We can float. If you struggle and if you tense up, thrash about, eventually you'll sink. But if you relax... And trust, you will float. So Borg asks, have you ever had the joy and challenge of teaching a, a child to swim? The biggest hurdle is getting the child to relax in the water. It's okay. Just relax. You'll float. It's okay. You'll be fine. Faith as trust is trusting in the buoyancy of God. It's a really great phrase. The buoyancy of God. Faith as trust is trusting in the sea of being in which we live and move and have our being. God. Our second passage today, the temptation story of Jesus, is also about whether we can trust God. Listen to the story. It comes in Matthew 4. Read along with me. It's printed in the bulletin. This is what it says. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their heads they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. So this story has three little scenarios and three bold answers from Jesus and each response from Jesus is a direct quotation from Deuteronomy. 
Jesus knew about the promises of God. Jesus knew the holy words and the spirit that would and could sustain him. His responses, quoting scripture, beg the question, what might you and I quote when we are confronted with anxiety and fear and uncertainty? What is it that comes to our mouth and our heart and our mind in those moments? Is it about trusting God? And how could it be about trusting God more? Let's think about these scenarios and what they might teach us. This first temptation seems to be about comfort, as if the devil purrs. You have great power, Jesus, and look, you're dreadfully hungry, Jesus. Why not make some bread and take it and eat it? But on a deeper level, this temptation boils down to this. Why don't you sustain yourself? Why don't you do it all on your own? You don't need God to sustain you. But by quoting Deuteronomy 8 in response, Jesus signals that he understands the stakes here. Basically, as if to say, just as my ancestors were led through the desert for 40 years, the Spirit has led me here to spar with you, tempter, and I've learned the ancient lesson, God is my refuge and strength, the true source of my sustenance. Bread certainly has a place, but everything good, including bread, comes from God. I'm going to trust God, Jesus conveys in his humble way. God, the fountain of life, the giver of all, the one who sustains us. With an open and humble spirit, Jesus trusts in God's graceful care. And Jesus reminds us to trust in God's gracious provisions. No matter what happens along the way, Jesus invites us and keeps inviting us to trust in God's gracious provisions. I've seen some of you do this so very well, and it inspires me so much. Trusting in God's gracious provisions, no matter what comes your way, this is our calling. Temptations, distractions, they challenge us. Issues and changes get in the way, and they increase our doubt, and they raise our anxiety, and they make us uncertain and fearful, but God can be trusted. God provides. This is the message of the scriptures over and over. We rely not on our own power, not on our own strength. It's not about us. It's always about our help and our strength and how we live out of that. Friends, I am preaching right to myself, to be honest. After 35 years of pastoral ministry. I'm about to move into another chapter, and I'm not sure how to function as your, without being your pastor. I'm not sure what life looks like without the regular rhythms of preaching the relentless return of Sunday. <laughs> I'm not sure what life looks like without the rather regular rhythms of pastoral care and teaching. I look forward to figuring it out, but it raises questions. What does it 
What is life like when my income is not coming from a dependable check, but from the Board of Pensions and the Social Security Administration? And someone told Ginger, watch out. You'll have twice the husband and half the money. Look, this can create anxiety. This can create dangerous mistrust. This can raise questions and doubts. But, friends, and I'm preaching to myself, we rely on God. God provides. This is the framework in which we live. We're God's people, and nothing can separate us from God's love. And we keep trying to grow in our trust so that we can be the more and more the loving, faithful people God calls each of us to be. The second temptation in this story seems to be about security. Uh, the devil says, prove that you are God's beloved. And the third is about glory and power. Worship me and all this can be yours. But again, Jesus exposes the true stakes that are being drawn on here. The stakes are we depend on God's care through the ages our lives are shaped and held by God we are intended to be formed every day as people who worship God and serve God we strive not to be drawn into grandiose ideas about ourselves we're God's beloved and we strive not to be drawn to high places of so we can feel powerful and in control. We do not put God to the test like a child throwing himself into traffic to see if, if his parent loves him. No, God is the grace, graceful fountain, not only for our nourishment, but also for abiding loving kindness and graceful, genuine power for our lives, not the anxious, cheap power peddled here by the tempter. It's a good story. Can we trust God? That's the question. Look, here's something else that might be, faith, might be helpful. The Greek word here that appears as devil is diabolos. And it has the root, the sense of splitting. Splitting us away from God. That's the essence of the word. All through life, there are people, their moments, their circumstances, their seasons that challenge us and try to split us away from trusting God's goodness, from living as God's people, from remembering that indeed we belong to God forever and our lives are about serving God. Life is not easy. It comes with challenges and temptations and struggles, but we're called to live with God and love God, and love God's people. And people and things come along to split us away from trusting God. But friends, God is trustworthy. This is the faithful witness of Scripture. God creates us and all things, and God's love will complete all things. That's the promise. Our lives are held together and forever in God's abiding care. On this last Sunday of Black History Month, I quote again the great Dr. King. He did not surrender to the crucifying realities of this world. He did not permit racism or white supremacy 
or violence or imprisonment or the Vietnam War or any of the discouragement that he knew in his life to have the last word. That was the power of his faith. He trusted God. This enabled him to keep pointing to the dream, to live into that resurrection promise of new life. And King proclaimed that the arc of the universe is long, but it keeps bending toward justice, keeps bending toward hope, keeps bending toward God. Can we trust God? Can we? Can you? The buoyancy of God. God's abiding presence and care forever. This is our calling. This is our privilege. This is our joy. We can indeed trust God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we open our hearts to your spirit. Pour your love into us. Deepen our faith. Shape us as your trusting, serving people. Amen.